I respect everybody from the street sweeper up to the president of the country, okay? And part of that is my boots on the ground. So if you if that's your base to start with respect, and that rolls into respect for communities, that's a great place to start. This is Canadian Market Watch, the podcast where your co-hosts Jim Check and George Sanders dive into the economy of Canada with industry experts. They cover mining, oil and gas, forestry, agriculture, manufacturing, and everything in between. Asking lots of questions, tough questions. If it's impacting the Canadian economy, they're talking about it. Welcome to another episode of Canadian Market Watch with George Sanders and myself, Jim Check, And today we have a really special guest. We have Eric Fear, the CEO of Silvercrest Metals. Maybe, Eric, you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Jim, uh, thanks for having me on. Great opportunity to talk to the market, uh, potential investors out there that are looking at getting in or, or getting, getting out. <laughs> that's that's an important part of the good part of the market, yeah. I am uh, basically uh, was working miner and uh, have it in my blood to, to do so. So I've been been trained to do this all my life. Um, basically, I went I went to Montana Tech, Montana, got two engineering degrees, so geological and mining engineering. Uh, a lot of my uh, my peers uh, did the same. You know, Montana Tech's a great school to go to. And, and get a degree out of, and then went worldwide. So I started my career with a company called Pegasus Gold. It was one of the top companies for open pit heat leach worldwide during the 80s. And I had over 35 years of experience. Uh, I ended up being one of their top performers and went worldwide with them, looking at projects uh, between... 1989 to uh, 2002, I worked in over 30 countries. I helped build six mines successfully. So uh, my my skills out of my experience up until the early uh, 2000s was really to look at as many properties as you could. Uh, Part of this Part of this game in the mining industry is statistics. So, more properties you look at, the better chance you're going to find one. Uh, the, the statistics are about one out of every thousand projects you look at really moves forward into a, a potential economic mine. Uh, so, you, you got to look at a lot of these things. And I always looked at companies. Uh, when I go to invest in them, how much experience these guys have boots on the ground to. And a lot of my success is boots on the ground. If you were to, look, to reflect back on my life, it's more of an Indiana Jones adventure. <laughs> Having gone to 30 countries and a lot of remote locations, uh, I mean, I've, had, uh, I've experienced a lot here. So, you know, just take a few snapshots of experience. I was on the border of uh, Tanzania and Rwanda in the early 1990s uh, when civil war broke out and ended up being a 
exploration camp I was running there ended up being a, a processing camp for the flood of Rwandans just pouring in and processed about 100,000 Rwandans uh, with the Belgian army. So, you know, these are things that I'm there basically looking for gold and deposits and drilling and uh, converting everything over to help in the Civil War situation. And, you know, that, that was pretty, you know, at the time, it was pretty scary, you know, to be doing this type of stuff. But you, you learn a lot of experiences. You know, you, you learn about people and situations, and, and you got to be quick on your feet. You know, it's, and, and these are all great tools. As times uh, I worked in Russia, I, I ended up at a wedding party and was mobbed because I was a North American and they, they'd never seen a North American before. So basically got clothes ripped off, scratched, bruised to get my way out of the mob because they just wanted a piece of it. <laughs> And they weren't, it wasn't being, uh, you know, malicious. It's just, they they wanted to figure out what a North American was. And this would have been in the, also around 1991, right after the fall of the wall. So, again, nothing to do with mining, but a great experience. And I was there for a mining project. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, it's those kind of experiences that I've had in my life. And, and survived. If you haven't written a book yet, maybe you should write a book. That sounds pretty good. Like yeah, the... yeah, there, you know, there's, there's about 10 near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the road to resources is not all paved in gold. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not jinxed. I mean, but it takes this kind of personality to really get out there. And, you know, there, there's people that have worked for me worldwide that just collapsed psychologically because they couldn't take these conditions. You've you got to have a positive attitude. Mm-hmm. You've you got to have a passion in order to find the the value and the ground that you want to bring to the investor. You know, those, those are the real successful stories. It must take a lot of focus to not get distracted by some of the, the stuff that's going on around you, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just like COVID-19, you know, mm-hmm. We're, we're operating under COVID-19. You just got to plan around it. It costs you more, you know, to deal with it. But you, you got to have fortitude and you got to have courage. A lot of courage is really a key to successful management teams, too. So, so it's, it's been a great ride. You know, I, I had a liver transplant. Uh, that was about four years ago. I had the a disease called primary scolarizing cholangitis, PSC. It's a genetic disease. I inherited it. When I first found out about it, the the doctor turned to me and said, you're pretty much screwed because you drew a really bad straw for life, you know, and it's not your fault. But I haven't let that stop me. You know, I'm I'm very active. I still travel worldwide, not under COVID-19, but up to the point of COVID-19. I'm, look, I'm looking at getting back to it, but these, these are things that you just you, you power forward through. Uh, you, you have a lot of responsibility. Uh, I tend not to be a, a stressful person. I'm pretty calm. Uh, so in stressful situations, I can usually figure myself out of them with all of this experience worldwide. And it's, it's, it really brings things into perspective. Now, I, I've 
spoke and try to speak six languages. Uh, I love languages because it means culture and music and food when you go to countries. And you get a lot of respect even trying to speak languages, and especially when you're with the government. And you get a, good, a lot of good laughs, too. And so sure. uh, share a, a snapshot in, in one of my language experiences. I flew into Uskomenogorsk, uh, Kazakhstan, for the first time. This would have been uh, 19, early 1990s, right after the Berlin Wall fell. So, and uh, a driver picked me up at the airport. I spoke no Russian, okay? <laughs> and I'm on my way to a project to look at it and do due diligence. And it was up in the southern Siberia. And I tried communicating with him. And he didn't know what I was saying. And I didn't know what I was, you know. And we were going back and forth. And we found common ground in the back of the van. And it was kind of a microbus, you know, hippie-style van. <laughs> and he picked me up. We had to travel four hours to try to figure out how to communicate. And he pointed to the back of the van, and, and uh, there was this uh, picture uh, of, of, a, of a famous uh, female actress in the back of the van. And he put his thumb up, and, and, and I put my thumb up. Okay, now we're communicating. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So. And uh, you would you would have seen a lot of rocks uh, in that adventure, not just culture, and uh, a lot of different approaches to ge- both geology and and mining. Yeah, George, I've been through I think almost every type of deposit. Okay, uh, and some are easy. You get into VMS targets; those are pretty easy to deal with. You know, big copper porphyry systems they cost a lot of money. Uh, I don't think juniors should be chasing those systems uh, without the support of a major company because they, they could be a big money pit. I've worked with copper porphyries. I've worked a lot with epithermal veins. I like epithermal veins because they're great detective stories, and I'm a, I'm a passionate detective, uh, figuring out you know where the precious metals or base metals are at in epithermal systems. Uh, you know, name a deposit, you know, there's, you know, copper sedimentary deposits. I've worked on those. Uh, scarn deposits. I've studied scarn deposits for 20 years. And really, uh, you know, every country I've worked in, you know, has these type of deposits and resources that have that potential value. So, you, you gotta you gotta be a jack of all trades if you're gonna be traveling around the world and studying these things. So yeah. yeah. So Eric, I have a follow-up question on your uh, passion for detection. Uh, but uh, first, I think I need to give our listeners uh, a bit of a disclaimer for myself, and that is that I was involved in the uh, initial putting together of. Silvercrest Mines or Silvercrest 1.0, and I was later a long-term director of that, and then of the spin-out company Silvercrest Mines, uh, Silvercrest Metals, uh, until a couple of years ago. So, in that capacity, I have uh, known and worked with Eric uh, for now well over a decade, and I'm also a shareholder of Silvercrest Metals. So with that aside, Eric, 
Um, you talked about your passion for detection, and I, I liken that back to the fact that you have uh, dual designations. You, you have geology and mining, engineering, and sometimes those are a little bit um, uh, different disciplines. And so I guess my question is, uh, initially, which one of those did you do first, and what led you to undertake the second discipline when you were in school? Yeah, I got my geology or geological engineering degree first. I started up a family. I've been with my, my wife, Kim, for over 40 years now, so... Uh, and, and, and I would be, uh, I'd probably get in trouble if I didn't mention that she's really the backbone of my success. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> A great supporter, uh, my wife is, uh, and we have four kids. So that wraps into why I did the second degree, because I was starting out a job um, as a geological engineer and I realized at that time that, you know, this isn't going to carry me through a degree. It was a, it was a field geologist. And I, I really wanted to get to know the whole life of going from exploration, development, and production. And that really would secure my future for my family. And I, I've got a lot of experience in metallurgy and geotechnical engineering, too. So having those two degrees is very powerful. You know, and really, uh, it's it's carried me this far and, and given me a lot of success. Uh, there's there's a lot of companies that have have management that are just geologists, and they really can carry the project to a certain point. And there's some with mining engineers, and they don't understand the geologic side of things. So I, I'm a good crossover. Probably my best skill for everybody in the success story around Silvercrest is is that. I, I can understand from kicking a rock to crushing it and making a gold bar. And sometimes people call me, you know, the whisperer, where I, I just, I know what everybody should be doing. And if I see communication problems or technical problems, I can get people together and, and really form that great team to get this thing solved. It's like building a bridge. I've, I've sat in the room with, with those guys at the mine site there when they're, they think they're saying the same thing, but they're talking differently to each other. But I guess with oh, yeah. you in the room, you're, you're kind of building the bridge and you can listen to what they're saying and say, no, no, you're just not understanding what he's saying. He's saying this. It, it, exactly. Yeah. It, not too many people can get something over on me on, on the, definitely the technical side, oh, you that's, know, and that's an awesome really skill. Yeah, yeah. Really, my last 10 years have been learning the legal accounting and capital market side. So also very significant. You know, when when I helped start a co-founder of Silvercrest, what we call 1.0 or Silvercrest Mines, that was in late 2002. We listed in 2003. I knew absolutely very little to nothing about legal accounting and capital markets. And I think I can have a legal degree, accounting degree, and a financing degree today. That's how much I learned. Mm -hmm. I learned 
I was going to say there's there's a few a few prospectuses and a few uh, term sheets and a few of those things since 2002, Eric. So oh, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> very very yeah for sure. So um, you know you 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 talked about uh, you talked about the the duality of the skill set uh, being able to recognize a geologic concept but also see through to the end of how something might actually be produced and recovered. So with that in mind, walk us through how you might approach a particular project. So someone, uh, someone sends you an idea, uh, your initial, initial review is, looks kind of interesting, and you decide to go and visit the site. And you talked about that earlier in, uh, in, in, uh, when you were describing your background. So when you do that, uh, are you just looking at geologic potential or are you trying to imagine, you know, where the waste dump's going to go and where the mill site's going to be and that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm kind of a look look back kind of guy. So I've already built it and mined it. And what is it going to look like? Okay. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, we did this, George, together in Santa Elena. Yep. And there is a there is a, a historic napkin now that I wrote on in some restaurant. This is the way I and, and this is as we were drilling and doing the first resource. And I said, this is the way I envision the mine. You know, here it is. Here's the open pit. Here's the underground. Here's the waste dump, and and here's you know the heat leach because it was an open pit heat leach. And to this day, about over ninety percent of that was accurate. So, so yeah, it, it's a look back uh, from the future and see if you can really understand. That, that's just part of it. So I have my pick list. You know, so I get these all the time, guys. Someone sends me something to take a look at. Uh, a lot of times it's for investment purposes in a, a startup junior company. And here's the property and here's the limited data we have. And are you interested in investing? And, and a lot of times they're just looking for an opinion, <laughs> but I, I'm, I do that, you know, and I mean, like to mentor and help people. I'm I'm not the kind of guy that I think I got to keep things really secret, you know, and, and the secret sauce and the formula. I, I really like to encourage people to to build value for the whole market, not just for Silvercrest. So, so it's. It's really here's my pick list. So here comes X Y Z property in the door. Number one, uh, I have to ask myself: uh, location, location, location. So uh, where is it at? And uh, I'm not willing to go to that area, or it's unsecure, or it's in the wrong country, or we're not interested in that. Uh, I I never try to say I won't go there, but maybe I know someone will. If you're interested, I can pass it on to them. Okay. So here's XYZ property location. So it's in Mexico. Yeah, I'm interested. Okay. Where at in Mexico? Uh, it's at the top of the Sahara Madre, and it takes three days to get there, including a day on a mule. I'm less interested. Yeah. For, yeah. For, for, for every, uh, and I, I tell this to my team, for every kilometer that you have to get off of the highway, the the cost of that project is going up significantly. Okay. And 
the price for acquisition or I'm going to purchase or what I'm going to put in that for offer D. You know, it, it, the cost is going up, but the acquisition price is going down to a point where I give you an instance. Uh, I was in Sonora, Mexico last year. Guy gave me a property. It, it, it was an epithermal system, which I consider myself to be an expert in now. And uh, where's it at? And finally, the owner convinced me to go look at it. And I, it, it was outside of Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico. I drove to the entry of the, where the property was. It took me three hours on highway, so I was okay with that. Then I started driving out to the property, and the rainstorm started. <clears throat> and about halfway into the property, which was about an hour and a half on the road, <laughs> the, the rain was coming down so hard, we put it in four-wheel drive. The roads got a lot worse. And I actually never got to the property. And when we stopped, it was about two hours in. We were stuck on a muddy road, four-wheel load drive. And I turned to the owner and I said, you know, is it work going on? And he said, no, it's going to get a lot worse from here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so check, uh, check box number one, not interested. It wasn't big enough. Okay. Check box number two would be, uh, I go to Google Earth if I can't get on site or if I'm just homebound like COVID-19. I zoom in on Google Earth and see what's around. And is it in a river? Uh, probably, a, probably a big problem there environmentally. So much less interested. Top of the mountain, much less interested unless there's good access to it. Uh, and communities. So I got a big, big heart for communities and really like uh, building value for communities. But the closer a community is, the less attractive a project is. Okay. So I've been on plenty of projects where the community's on top of it and had to walk away. I knew that this was going to be a problem. And life is too short for those kind of challenges. I've seen so many deposits worldwide that are remote, that have access. Let's go work on those things. So that's checkbox number two. If, it, if there's communities that you're going to encumber, uh, then think long and hard that, uh, yeah, I, I like the distance of a community being a kilometer to three kilometers away. That's the closest I want to get to the community. Yeah. Uh, the Los Chispas project, which uh, SolarCrest is developing right now for production coming up, is about uh, an hour an hour drive to the locus, lo closest local community, biggest community. Uh, closest community is probably 20 kilometers away, so pretty comfortable. Okay, That's, that that works. Third checkbox, uh, always concerned about aesthetics and. If you're doing an open pit right next to a highway in a unfavorable jurisdiction, probably not a good place to start, <laughs> okay? Because people are going to see it and they're going to complain about it a lot, okay? Fourth checkbox, if I'm going outside of North America, which includes Mexico to me, uh, that uh, I want to know the governments. You know, these are typical checkboxes that people should have. 
you know, are they attractive? And, and I, I actually, you know, look at GDPs of countries worldwide and the impact of mining, because a GDP to me means a vote. So Australia has a lot of great support and Canada has a lot of great support because a lot of the GDP is based on mining. Okay. So that gives me some comfort to look in that country. And Mexico, too. Big GDP. It's number four on the GDP list for the country. Gross domestic uh, product there. So uh, Chile, you know, used to be 65%. It's now about 40%. Still attractive. You know, the the government there is is a bit challenged right now um, on the the mining side and trying to balance. And, And I could appreciate that with with uh, their agendas, but but really, you know, what countries have a really low GDP? Uh, put put it on the red flag. It's it's very low in the U.S. By the way, um, mining is less than one percent of the GDP. So uh, I've worked in the U.S. a lot in Nevada. When Nevada was taking a big rise, I cut my teeth. My first project was in Nevada out of uh, during university. And uh, it was great to work in Nevada. You know, I, I remember being in, working on a project outside of Eureka, Nevada. I wanted to drill 10 holes in what's now the Gold Bar Project, uh, which has been mined and is being relooked at or being remined right now. And uh, the 10 holes, I, I went and met with the DLM, talked to the guy. I showed him the map, and he signed the map, and he said, we'll drill the 10 <laughs> You know, yeah. it, it was a 30-minute conversation, you know. But what what I see now is, you know, the, the bureaucracy that has moved in. BLM, since the time of the, the BLM offices in Nevada since 1980, have grown to thousands, where it was tens or hundreds at the time that I was so. So you you got you got a lot more government involvement. So there's more permitting that takes a lot more time. So I see Mexico, and the number one reason I I, I go to Mexico is because I can permit a drill project. I can permit a mine in the same cycle that uh, you, you started. You're in that 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 boom and bust cycle. I can do it in the same cycle. I can't say that a lot about countries around the world. Yeah, that's you know, true. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So if you, you look at uh, Santa Elena, we permitted for an open pit heat leach and an expansion to underground milling in less than a year. Yep. And and it was to international standards. We we were doing a bank loan and it had to be. You know, so all international you know, standards in order to do this permitting above and beyond what the Mexican government has, okay? But we had a relationship with the government and with the regulators, and we built trust with them, and they knew we would do a good job. And to this point, that good job can carry down, you know, and, and it's rolled into our success story around Las Chispas, too. I mean, we, we per, we're already fully permitted to start production. We did that in about a year and a half, a little bit more time, a little bit more bureaucracy involved. But you know, the same, if I took 
and put Las Chispas most places in the world, it's five to ten years. You know, it's that the typical time to permit a mine site in, in countries is exactly that, five to ten years. I know some projects that have been permitting for 40 years yeah. around the world. So, there you go. We won't name them, but yeah. some of them are in Alaska. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. yeah. Um, <laughs> Eric, you, 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 you just finished off talking about uh, trying to uh, maintain an excellent relationship with uh, the government and the regulators. And then a few minutes earlier, you talked about uh, your your passion for the community, and and I know from working with you that those aren't just words; they're they're real. So I'm jumping around in my my question order here, but uh, Silvercrest has really established an excellent uh, CSR record, um, and and I know that you've spent a little. Uh, more than a little bit of time on it, and that it's high on your priority list. Tell us a little bit about creating the culture within your organization to um, to enable that success with uh, the communities where you work. Well, it's it's really started uh, that culture and understanding the culture really started with my traveling around the world and respecting people. Okay, so I'm the kind of guy that gives the benefit of the doubt and respects people coming out. You know, that, then I get burned and then that falls apart. But, but really, I respect everybody from the street sweeper up to the president of the country. Okay, and part of that is my boots on the ground. So if, you, if that's your base to start with respect, and that rolls into respect for communities, that's a great place to start. You know, there's, I, I know some companies or just individual people that don't have that attitude. Uh, you, you certainly want to get that attitude to be um, much more successful in this environment. So, so start with respect, and I tell people on the team to do that. Uh, I also... Uh, start with don't promise anything, but we're going to work hard to try to build value for the community. Okay, and that value is wrapped in many ways. You know, it's it's experience, it's jobs, it's donations, it's building things. Uh, we 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 like to to give to the community and educate the community in, in a respectful way. You know, you're not talking down to them. Let's work together. And, and really, it's about a partnership. It's not just giving out money. So one of the things we did early on at Santa Elena in Mex Sonora, Mexico, back to Sonora, Mexico, was to, to put together a community foundation, a nonprofit organization. We didn't run it. Uh, members of the community ran that. And that was the tool to facilitate how we were going to work in communities. And really, it, it, we had no control, and it's still running today. We have no control, but we're involved in it. And we want to see how things are moving along just from experience and, and again, a respectful side. Okay, And that's, that's worked out quite well. Uh, and I, I know that there's companies out there that are, that are just paying millions and millions of dollars 
worldwide to communities to keep their social license. Well, I, I think if you start at the bottom, you know, grassroots, first boots on the ground, with respect, build trust, make the community understand that you're not going to promise them today or basically until it's ready to go to build a hospital or build infrastructure or anything. You know, all you're going to do is work with the community to build this relationship. And you ask this community that you need their help, okay? That gets them to buy into this partnership. We need your help. We need you to be patient. Uh, we are going to be spending a lot of money, and we're going to be investing in this area. You need to be patient before you start seeing any gains here. And then you explain, you know, guys, this could take five years. And this is exactly what we did in Santa Elena. You know, we had a municipality meeting with the mayor and, the, and uh, all of the committee for one of the municipalities in, in Mexico. And they said, well, are, are you starting tomorrow? And I said, whoa, wait a minute. And I said, this is our timetable, guys. And they said, oh, we didn't understand that. We didn't know that. And so you, you walk them through the chain of events, and it always ends. And I, I'm, I'm getting to be known in Sonora, Mexico now, that only things happen if they're successful. So I'm always saying, con exitos, which is with success. Okay. <laughs> so it, it's really uh, about, yeah, uh, and, and it with that patient, it allows you to build that trust with the community. And I, I, I'm, I tend to be very ethical and very moral. I'm concerned about the community and the people and their health that's rotating around COVID-19 right now. We're spending quite a bit of money just to educate. We've donated to medical supplies and, and tried to help the community. And we're linked into, it's, it's good to be in the social media of the community. They tend to use Facebook. So we, I've, I've given two talks on Facebook, you know, to the community, uh, one in English and one in Spanish. And, you know, they, they really appreciate that. So that's, there you go. That's fantastic. I, I can, uh, uh, just a little personal experience to back up uh, what you say. I recall a director's meeting um where we were on site while we were still drilling at santa elena and then we came back um i don't know a year or two later and the mine was operating and you could notice the difference in the town just by driving through it and i'm not exaggerating it it had a it had a uh, a sense of pride and accomplishment to it and certainly out at the mine site, uh, all of the people working there from the community uh, had a, a really excellent um, attitude and spirit about them. So uh, it, it, was, it was actually noticeable to someone from the outside that there was a positive impact on that community. Maybe for context, Eric, you could walk us through Silvercrest Metals and and then and the mine you're working on right now from when you know like the discovery and then it how it kind of grew into and when you can expect in the life of mine and all that you bet yeah 
Well, um, the I'll digress a little bit more here, Jim, to set up the stage here. Uh, the Santa Elena project uh, was acquired by Silvercrest Mines, or 1.0, in November of 2005. Its first resource was announced in late 2006. Uh, it went on as a discovery. It went on to uh, production, open pit heat leach in 2010. So, you know, take a snapshot. You know, the discovery was announced in 2006, and in 2010 we were in operation. So, four years, very aggressive. The only way I could have done that is with the assistance of the Mexican government, regulators in Sonora, Mexico, and making sure that we hit all the tick boxes for permitting that mine, or that would never happen. So how big was that operation? Like, what was it producing a year, and what, how many employees were on site and, and doing the work? Yeah, yeah. the open pit heat leach got up to about 50,000 ounces gold. Call it gold equivalent. It was 90% gold value at that time. Uh, and then uh, 50,000, so a, a smaller pit, but we knew that. We, we, we uh, again, my foresight, which I like to do, at, at the time we put the open pit in, we, were, we knew already we were going underground, and it was going to be quite much larger, okay? <laughs> so it was a good kickoff. I like to do the stage business model, and I've talked to the industry about this too. Uh, don't jump in feet first with a, a big capital cost. Start out small and build. And that's not just on a technical side and understanding. That's on a community side. Okay? So expectations are monitored and you grow. Okay? And I, I learned quite a long time ago that the best part, this, this, there's some insight into that business model that very few know, but uh, the best part of doing a business, it's a smart way to do it. But to me, one of the best parts is that I always reflected back on the mines that I had built. And, you know, those mines, you know, they didn't do it originally. They, they converted to a stage process, but they originally didn't do a, a stage process. They came out of the chute with a big mine, or, or we did. And uh, three, the best the best years were the first three years, okay? And those after those first three years, then people wanted more, and community wanted more, and government wanted more royalties. So now that it's successful, we can start cutting the pie up and, and smaller and smaller profits. But with the stage business model, you have, you have a reset button, okay? So here's the first 50,000 ounces, the next three, we're going to expand. We're going to bring in more people, more employment. Uh, so it's going to be a burden on the company. Don't start asking for more slice of the pie because we're expanding and we're we're actually improving the community through that expansion. So we're going to 100,000 ounces gold equivalent. Okay. When I say gold equivalent, I'm usually talking mm -hmm. gold ounces. Okay. So it, it's really that staged project that was part of that success. So, so that was the capacity. There was about, for the open pit, about 300 uh, employees and contractors on site. The undergrounds, when we started, we were actually, it, it, again, it was phased. So once we kicked off the open pit, deep leach, we were working on the underground. 
And the, the last two years, the open head heat bleach ran for four years. The last two years, we were developing the underground. So it started off with 300, ended up with 400. I think the, right now, we, we sold that to First Majestic in 2015, and that comes to your question, Jim, around the start of uh, Silvercrest 2.0. So that's First Majestic, and I think there are still about 350 to 400 employees and contractors on site. So it's the biggest, right now it's the biggest employer in the valley, which is the the Sonora River Valley. Um, if, if you count Canada, and that's the biggest employer, but in the, in the region, within about a 100-kilometer radius, it's the biggest employer. So kicking off, uh, that, that kicked off the Santa Elena, had success there. Uh, First Majestic came in in early 2015, were interested. Uh, we did and signed that deal uh, on October 1st, 2015. While we were doing that deal and doing the definitive agreement to get the signature, we set up the spin code. So by the time it was October 1st, 2015, the spin code was ready to trade. So I gave a talk with Eric Coffin at his show, the Hard Rock show, in Vancouver in early October 2015. And I said, guys, we're here to do it again. Okay? The spin code is Silvercrest Mills. These are our projects. And actually, our first project drilled was not Las Chispas because we had to get drilling permits. For that okay and yes first majestic asked if they could have lost Jesus as part of the deal because it's relatively right next to Santa Elena <laughs> and I said no and the question the comment was would you walk away from this deal if, if we didn't get it and the money that you're asking for because we carved out to one point or 5.2 million dollars for that deal too and and I said yeah I'm done here guys I got up and said, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Why do you want to listen? I said, well, you know, I've been working on it for a couple of years to put that land package together, which is a story and it's a whole story in itself, and putting that land package together, and they want to go play with it. You know, there's, there's some historic high grades there. You know, you can see the data in our in our FTP site for this, for the due diligence, but it's not on the table for this because we want to go play with them. Okay. So that deal was closed. We started trading November or October 9th, 2015. Uh, we were at a $5 million market back and we had $6 million in the bank. <laughs> Imagine that. And people are scratching their heads like, you know, man, they're, they're, their market cap is less than their cash value. Maybe we should pay attention. And mm-hmm. Eric Coffin got up and said, you guys need to watch this. You know, this, this is a successful management team, and watch these guys because this is going somewhere. Don't know where it's going yet, but let's watch them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, from that point forward, we drilled a, a small property called Lost Boss, uh, had, uh, and it was a drill to kill. We love those, you know, drill to kill. A big epithermal vein on the surface to death, no, no value, or very little value. So we walked from that and said, well, we got our permits for Los Chistas. Let's kick that off. April 2016, second drill hole hits 
two meters or two kilos silver equivalent. That silver equivalent is uh, 75 to 1 uh, gold to silver, and it's just gold and silver. And today, all of our numbers are just gold and silver. Uh, there is some base metals, but they're very minor base metals in the system. So that was our first news release we put out. And, and from uh, April 2016 to August 2016, we started putting out these results. We got underground access. One vein has about 10 kilometers of historic workings. So we were channel sampling pillars and back with the roof of the drifts and everything, and coming up with multi-kilo, you know, up to five kilo silver equivalent numbers that are in intact ground. This got the market Silver price was also on a run at that time. And by August, we were at $4, our share price, from 15 cents, okay, to $4 in nine months, okay? We also were holding 25% of First Majestic at that time. And part of the success story around you know, Silvercrest, our deal with First Majestic was all shares, 25% ownership of First Majestic at $4. By August, it was at $24. And we're on the phone saying, if you guys want out, now's a great time to take money off the table to <laughs> our Silvercrest shareholders. So that ended up being... At $4, it was a $154 million transaction. If you believe in that story for nine months, it was a billion-dollar transaction with First Majestic for the first. So you can call that our first billion that we made for the market of investors. Okay. August 10th, uh, I worked on a news release for really the first significant polls that were coming out of Las Chispas. On August 11th, I went in for liver surgery. There is your commitment. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and I, you know, I work on that news release with the team, needed their assistance. I was in pretty bad shape, okay, uh, with the, the disease that I had. And, I, and uh, the, the only treatment was this liver transplant. But that's the commitment you got from management. And... And the passion is I had the support of the team. I had the support of the directors, which George was on the directors at that point. And we put out that news release. Our stock went up like 50 cents on that news release, and I went in for 30. <laughs> so that was the kickoff, and it's been you know, a great success story from there on. If you take anything away from this podcast, guys, this is ultra high grade. You know, we're, we're dealing, you know, we've drilled 400,000 meters of drilling. Uh, that's, you know, 1,500 holes approximately now that we've drilled in the system. There's, when we started, it, when we knew of three veins, it's now 43 veins in the, in the system. And it's an epithermal system. Again, we have some expertise. Definitely in the region, the same as Santa at the thermal system. Part of our success is our success at Santa We just moved it to Los Angeles, okay? And, you know, use those tools to, to do this detective work that George just was mentioning. Uh, and uh, of the 43 veins, we've drilled six 
successfully 20 of them. There's 23 more veins to work on. So it's a growth story. It's an ultra high grade story. Uh, we put out a TEA about uh, in 2019, so about 16 months ago. And we're just finalizing the feasibility study. Uh, we're, we're telling the markets on that feasibility study that that's a catalyst for major construction. We're already developing underground. We've developed four kilometers underground already. We're stockpiling. This is all de-risking, big on de-risking. We're stockpiling high-grade right now. We have about 3 million ounces already on the surface that can go through a mill facility. And if you look at our PEA, it's on the C-dollar, and you get and look at it that. You can see the numbers there. In the first four years are 13 to 14 million ounces silver equivalent per year. So this is, this is a big one, okay? And, uh, but again, you know, there's bigger, and there's bigger resource ounces. You can find companies out there that are quoting a half a billion ounces of silver, but the grade is 60 grams. Well, we're saying in the PEA, uh, average grade was 723 uh, grams per ton, and the first four years is over a kilo per ton silver equivalent. So there's not many people that can say that. And we're right now have a champagne problem that we're trying to do in finalizing the feasibility. That champagne problem is we're looking at how we're going to deal with 10 kilo type material, okay? Yeah. And the blending that's going to be required. I mean, 10 kilos perspective, that's, you know, above or above 10 kilo, 300 to 400 ounces per ton silver equivalent. And very few mines can talk about that worldwide. I think what really sets Las Chispas apart and has been a major catalyst for the uh, Silvercrest Metals valuation is the immense profitability that you're going to get out of this. And, and I, I, I really appreciated your comment about, you know, there are other deposits out there with more contained ounces, but they aren't going to make the kind of money that this thing is going to make. Yeah, high grade means margin, guys, and you know it's our margins are sixty, seventy percent. <laughs> okay, so we're like, we're looking at again. I like to reflect on the first four or five years of, of a of a mine cycle because it's back to my comment: the best years are the first three years. <laughs> uh, so that's really one you want to. And it's maybe not the first six months because you're starting up, but kicking off your third. You know, your three years there after startup. Well, and especially um, if you can pay your capital back quickly. Well, you look at our PEA; it's nine months, not year. Uh, this is nine months, and yeah. that's at, and that's not at current silver prices, is it? No, no, it's uh, silver prices is almost double now. <laughs> the sun's really shining on silver and gold. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's it's really you look at our PEA and just kind of double the numbers that you see there yeah. in, in today's environment. And that's reflected in our market cap. So, and our PEA came out with U.S. 400 million at those metal prices. That's a snapshot in time. You know, the, the, the market understands the value of things, and it, and it smart, market's pretty smart. You know, it'll correct for that value and move your share price up to, to give you that value. 
And we were we were valued under our PEA for about a year until metal prices started moving up. So valued at about four hundred million US for about a year, and then metal prices jumped, and we jumped. And it's just it's all about the bull market and and the rise of all all tide rises, all ship rise. Basically. We have about five minutes left, on George, if you want to make sure you grab some of those other questions you have there. So. Yeah, just, just one final one. We only have a couple minutes left. Um, I, I can, uh, I guess, give a quick preamble to, to my question. Uh, and my quick preamble is that uh, uh, of all the stuff I've done in my own career in the mining space, serving on the board of Silvercrest was always a fantastic experience. And the merging of the various personalities was fantastic. I can also say that uh, just walking in the office, even in the early days, there was a great sense of energy and positive attitude. And as I mentioned earlier, certainly visiting the various uh, operations, uh, whether they were still in drilling stage or in in construction or, or mining as at Santa Elena, but always there was a, a tremendous atmosphere of um, uh, camaraderie and uh, excitement about the project. So that's my preamble to a very simple question. Uh, how do you approach team building and how did you generate the culture for the kind of attitude that you see in Silvercrest? Yeah, well, um, I'm an older guy, I'm 59, but I have a young team. And part of that young team is two of my kids work for the company. And, and they tend to remind me, dad, that's old school. <laughs> can, can we try something new school? Because we're dealing with a lot of young guys here in our management team. And when I say guys, that's for men and women, okay? So just to qualify that. But we're dealing with a lot of these guys. And so, Dad, here's some tools that you need to use to help build the team, okay? And this is what today the current atmosphere is in employment and in culture for working. So I've grasped onto those and I've used them. And it's really helped accelerate the team. Now, the old school stuff works too, guys. But you got to get up to speed on new technologies. Okay, uh, old school stuff is, you know, be honest, always tell the truth. Uh, one of my mentors, Scott Drever, who was also co-founder of Silvercrest, he always told me, Eric, tell the truth. That way, you never have to remember what you said. <laughs> True fact. <laughs> so. And, and another quote from Scott Reeder is, I want to know bad news two weeks before good news. Because as an executive or a manager of this company, we're trained to solve for the bad news. The good news is going to take care of itself. Okay? So I've developed these skills to just look for red flags. Okay? And I've developed my team around just looking at red flags. Now, there, there's a type of software, this is part of a new technology, called SAP, SAP, it's an accounting software, and we installed that at the Santa Elena mine, and the first day I walked in to do a cost control meeting, 
the stack of papers that Sat put out was about three feet high. And I said, and you want me to go through this? Yes, <laughs> because this is the accounting report. And I said, uh, no, we're going to look for red flags. And it got t- cut down to two pages. <laughs> so that was part of building a successful team, is getting them focused. Again, respect your communities, respect each other, help each other. Everybody falls down. Everybody makes mistakes. Learn from those mistakes and move forward. You know, and try try to have fun along the way. That was one of the building foundations of Silvercrest 1.0. Uh, the pillar was try to have fun along the way. Yeah. And we try to promote that. You know, life is too short again. Have fun. And how do we have fun? We, we get together and have social events. If you're going to a project site, take an extra weekend, enjoy the culture and the music and 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 the food of that area. You know, all, all of that is a very small extent, but a great way to build a team. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Um, if you haven't thought about writing a book, you definitely should, though. Um, you, have some, <laughs> you have some great stories, and I'm sure there's a lot more. We actually did hire a writer for my mom's story, too. So it's, it's, it's something that's, if you're not a writer, I think it's, it's something great to share with your, your children as they, uh, oh, yeah. as they get yeah. older, too. So it's that experience out there, too, and, and we say that a lot, too, is um, like a lot of the, the CEOs of successful tech companies, too, like they're, they're hunting for problems, right, because they're problem solvers, really. That's what's built into them. And uh, if, oh, you, yeah. if you focus yeah. on fixing the problems, the other stuff does take care of itself. So that's great um, to hear yeah. that that works in all kinds of companies, right? So I, I thank you for your time. It's it's, it's amazing and uh, to hear the stuff that you're doing and uh, look forward to uh, hearing more at some point. Okay, great to have me on the, yep. on the podcast. Thanks, Eric. And George, thanks for setting this up too. All right, thank you. Okay. Yeah, be safe, guys. Take care. And that has been another episode of Canadian Market Watch. Thanks for listening. This episode has been brought to you by a division of the Now Media Group. To hear future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to provide feedback, ask us a question, or be a future guest on the show, please email podcast at canadianmarketwatch.com. You can also connect with the show on Instagram and Facebook at Canadian Market Watch or on Twitter at CDN Market. Join the discussion.